Good evening, TPC family. Man, I'm so glad to be able to be with you tonight. Uh, it's a Wednesday night. We're, we're doing our Wednesday night at home edition, if you will. I know most of you are watching from home, and I decided to bring a message from my home tonight into your home. So we're so glad you've joined us here online. I know a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> we talked about uh, me doing a, a, a two-week series on kingdom reconciliation. So that's, that's what I want to do tonight. Uh, we kind of got interrupted last week with uh, our change again with COVID. <clears throat> but this week, uh, I'm picking that up, uh, picking up the Kingdom Reconciliation. So tonight, we're going to start with week one of Kingdom Reconciliation, and then next week, I will continue with uh, part two. So as you know, uh, in regards to reconciliation right now in our country, we are in great dire need of reconciliation. Of course, uh, one of the biggest areas is in racial racial reconciliation, but reconciliation across the board. Uh, there's just so much strife, division, um, just all kinds of things going on that need that reconciliation, uh, which is really the heart of the gospel. That's what that's what the gospel is all about is, is reconciliation. <clears throat> so that's what this world needs. That's what this country needs. That's what our state needs. That's what our communities need. And, and that's why I want to talk about this uh, for the next couple of weeks, is the importance of kingdom reconciliation. Because without kingdom reconciliation, there really is no hope for real reconciliation. Uh, so in, in that context, uh, and this great need we see in our country right now, that's why I want to talk about this. So to begin, uh, I want to go straight, of course, go straight to the Bible and talk about uh, what the Bible has to say about reconciliation, and then we'll get into uh, the aspect of reconciliation and the church's role in regards to the kingdom aspect of reconciliation. So if, if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21. Some of you may be familiar with this. If not, you can, you can read along as I read this. So it's, uh, again, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of, of reconciliation. So here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the writer of Corinthians, is telling us that God has reconciled uh, us to him through Christ, but he's also giving, given us, those who have been reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation. Of course, we as, as believers become the body of Christ, which is the church. So he's given the, the ministry of reconciliation to us as the body of believers to the church. And that's, that's one of our responsibilities as the church, is to be ministers of reconciliation in this world. So let me, let me continue on here in verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God 
in him. So here we see uh, in, in, in the, the, the letter of Paul here to the Corinthians that God has given us the church, the ministry of reconciliation. And it is our responsibility to minister reconciliation to our communities, to our cities, to our state, to our country, and literally around the world. So tonight, that's what I want to talk about is our role in reconciliation in this world. So let's let's open in prayer, and then we'll get into the specifics of what I want to share tonight. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Uh, first of all, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your heart of reconciliation. Lord, that you, Father, took that step through Jesus Christ to reconcile us to you through Christ. And Lord... Uh, in that aspect of being reconciled to you, Lord, you have given us not just the, the right, but the responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation <clears throat> to those around us, to our, <clears throat> to our communities, to our state, <clears throat> and Lord, to our country. As individual believers, as a, as a body of believers, and Lord, as the church as a whole, you have commissioned us to reconcile others to you. And Lord, in, reconcile, in reconciling others to you, Lord, we know we can be reconciled to each other. And Lord, right now in this country, there is a great need for reconciliation. So Lord, I pray tonight as we study your word, as we see the things that, that hinder reconciliation and the things that release reconciliation, Lord, that... <clears throat> You would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and your ways, of your heart. And Lord, we would learn of the, the true kingdom heart of reconciliation so that we can fulfill that responsibility of being ministers of reconciliation in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here's, here's what I want to do tonight. Uh, there, there's a couple aspects of reconciliation that I want to talk about. Obviously, the Bible is very clear that, that we are ministers of reconciliation. We've been given that role, that responsibility by God as, as believers, as the body, as the church. So, as we look out on, on the landscape here of our, uh, of our world, <clears throat> we see there's this great need. Uh, and not only do we see in, in this passage in, in Corinthians the aspect of the ministry of reconciliation, but you know if you look throughout the entire Bible, the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, you know you see Genesis 1 and 2, God's creation, God's original intent for, for his relationship with, with humanity. And then in Genesis 3, we see that broken because of sin. Starting in Genesis 3, all the way to Revelation 22, it is the story of God reconciling himself to his creation, reconciling a broken humanity through Jesus Christ in order to restore that relationship he wanted to have with us in the first place. That's the whole story of the Bible. You know, we see that, that encapsulated, of course, in, in, in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that, that, that verse really encapsulates the core message of the Bible. 
is that God wants to reconcile our relationship to him because it's been broken because of sin. And of course, that, that's the nature of the need for reconciliation in, in the first place. You know, the reason we have a need for reconciliation is because of broken relationships. And the reason relationships are broken is because of sin. And, and that's the essence of it all. And that's what we see in our country right now is, is a country torn apart by sin that is in desperate need of reconciliation, especially in the area of racial reconciliation. We see this, this great, this, this great um, original sin, if you will, of this country in regards to slavery and, and, and racial injustice that has never been healed. Um, you know, we've had a lot of talk about it, and we've had a lot of progress, but we haven't experienced the true healing that comes through kingdom reconciliation. And that's what we need. And we as a church have a responsibility to lead in the area of healing. We, we do a lot of talk as far as, um, you know, how things have improved, but even in the improvement we're still missing the healing part, and that's where we need reconciliation and the healing part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, um, God is the one who initiated this reconciliation. In, in uh, Romans chapter 5, we see that God is the one who initiated the act of reconciliation in regards to our being reconciled with God. Because we couldn't do it. We were separated by sin. And because of that, we were incapable of reconciling our relationship with God. So we see in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, the aspect of God's initiation of this reconciliation. And it's Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see that God not only provides the means of reconciliation, he gives us a pattern of what reconciliation should look like. And, and in this pattern, we see the one who was in the right, because he, he did no wrong, uh, we did the wrong, <clears throat> the one who was in the right is the one who, who now initiates the, the means, the ability to be reconciled. So, you know, in, in, our, in our broken world, a lot of times uh, when it comes to reconciliation, people who claim to be in the right, whether they are or not, feel the person in the wrong needs to be the initiator. But we see in the Bible, the pattern is just the opposite. The one who was in the right, God who is in the right, uh, is the one who initiates. Not only does he initiate the reconciliation, he provides the means for that reconciliation, and that means cost him a great price, which was his son. So, uh, in all this, we see not just the, the, the kingdom aspect of the truth of reconciliation, we see a pattern of, of how reconciliation is to come about. So, you know, in, in our country right now, we have that desperate need. And we as a church should be the ones influencing our culture, influence, uh, influencing our, our, our cities, our state, and our country. But unfortunately, 
for, for many years, for many decades, and probably many centuries, it's just been the opposite. We've had a culture that has influenced the church. So instead of the church being the initiators, instead of the church being the leaders, we've been the followers. We have followed the culture instead of leading the culture. And unfortunately today, uh, a lot of churches mirror the culture in many different ways, but especially in the area of reconciliation. And that, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, before I get into the specific kingdom aspects, I want to talk about a, an infiltration, if you will, that has occurred in the church that is hindering us from being able to uh, be leaders in reconciliation. Uh, not only has it hindered us from being leaders in reconciliation, it has contributed to us not just not being leaders, but contributed in the way that we have hindered the ability for reconciliation to occur. See, I believe the church is supposed to be the moral compass of a community, uh, of, a, of a culture. That's, that's one of the roles that, the, that God has given to the church, to be that moral compass, to be that spiritual leader within a community, within a culture. But when the church doesn't do it, there's, there's nobody else to do it. Uh, there's no other entity on the planet that has the, the authority to be a moral and spiritual leader like the church. And that, that's what Jesus said. You know, when, when Peter confessed Jesus as the Savior, you know, uh, Jesus asked them, who, who do men say that I am? And they give all these answers. But he, then he turned to them and said, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And, and, you know, of course, Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, he says, look, upon this rock, upon that confession, upon my believers, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the only entity on the planet that has the authority to storm the gates of hell and bring that reconciliation into a need, need a world of need, into, into a community, into a culture that is broken by sin. And if the church doesn't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, too often we turn to politics or, or to politicians, and we want them to lead. They can't. Now, politics and politicians have, have a place and a role. You know, and the Bible said that, that, you know, the Lord has placed people in positions of authority. But that does not give us the right to abdicate our authority as the church to government officials, to politicians, and waiting for them to lead. We're the ones who are supposed to lead. It's our responsibility, and we have failed in that. And because of that, we see a culture that is literally being ripped apart at the seams. So how have we failed at that? What is it that that we have seen the culture influence the church in such a way that we've become ineffective? Well, that's exactly what I want to talk about tonight. Um, so tonight I want to talk about the way we've become ineffective and why it's hindering us. Because we have to see that. You know, um, one of the aspects of Celebrate Recovery, I, I'm a product of Celebrate Recovery. I went through Celebrate Recovery many years ago. And one of the, the, the steps, if you will, in the 12-step process is you have to admit your own sin. <laughs> you have to admit you have a problem. And one of the things in, in this aspect of reconciliation and the need for reconciliation is we as a church have to admit that not only have we failed 
to accept our responsibility, we have also contributed to the problem. And, and that's one of the specific ways I, I want to talk about tonight, how we've contributed to that problem. Uh, you know, through the Bible, we see the, the kingdom heart. We see the kingdom principles. We see God's heart. Uh, manifest through the the kingdom of God here on, on earth. You know, we pray the Lord's prayer. You know, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. One of the ways that God does that is through His church, but we haven't done that effectively. So next week, I want to talk about the specifics of the kingdom uh, aspect of reconciliation. But but this week, there, there's something I want to talk about that has hindered us as church leaders. It's hindered us as Christians in the aspect of reconciliation. And, and that specific area that I want to talk about is the fact that we as a church, we as Christians, we as church leaders, have adopted the, the cultural, political worldview rather than following the kingdom worldview that's taught in the Bible. So what does that mean? Well, that means we've been influenced by the culture. And, and I think, um, you know, especially in, in our hyper-politicized uh, culture today, in the, especially in this country, uh, everything is affected by politics. Uh, there, there is no sacred space anywhere on the planet anymore that's free from, from politics. It, it's affecting everything. And unfortunately, we, as the church, have allowed it to affect us. Not only has it affected us, it's infected us. You know, Paul warns us against the, the infection, if you will, of a, of a culture, of the world way, ways of doing things. He says this in Romans 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, we just read a few minutes ago in 2 Corinthians that it is God's will that we be ministers of reconciliation to a broken world. That's God's will. I mean, it's right there. It's written right in the Bible. It's very clear. But because we've been conformed to this world, in this, specifically in this aspect of, of um, a political worldview, we have missed the will of God. We have not been able to prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God uh, because our minds have not been renewed by the kingdom worldview. They've been conformed to the political worldview. And this is a very dangerous worldview. Uh, in my opinion, the political worldview is one of the greatest dangers facing this country today. And, and uh, I know I realize that's a big statement, but I want to give three specific reasons why I believe the political worldview is extremely dangerous. Uh, and before I go into those three things, let me just say this. Um, you know, for about two and a half years, I spent um, a lot of time running in political circles. I was seriously considering possibly running for office. Uh, obviously, I, I didn't do that um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but in those two, two and a half years, I saw some, um, some things I didn't like. Uh, and, and it wasn't an aspect of the specifics of the ideology or the belief system of the political system. It was the political worldview, the way people view the world, the way people view um, 
how things occur and why things occur, the way people approach uh, problems and, and, and um, different aspects of the culture. And it's just, it's sort of this lens that, that they look through and they, they view everything from a very specific political perspective. Well, after being in it for a couple, couple years, uh, and then kind of stepping away, uh, you know, I, I had a time to process what I had seen, what I had experienced. And I think all of us, to one degree or another, obviously see politics and the news and whatever. But having been immersed in it for about two years, um, you know, I saw it in a, in, a, in a way that I had never seen it before and to a depth I had never seen before. And, you know, over the last six months, I've really had a chance to kind of analyze what I experienced. And through that, this is where these three, what I call the three dangers of the political worldview um, that, that back up my statement personally and what I believe is uh, the fact that the political worldview is one of the most dangerous uh, um, threats facing this country right now. Uh, and it's because of these three specific dangers. So let me, let me identify these. And these things I saw when I was running in the, in the political circles and, and, and talking to politicians and, you know, going to all these different political groups. And I, I don't mean to um, paint with a very broad brush here. Um, in, in a sense, I'm, I'm condemning everybody who's in the political world. That's not what I mean. Um, but what I am saying is that uh, this is what I saw and experienced in general as far as what the political worldview teaches and, and how the political worldview manifests itself within in in uh, in people in groups and, and I've seen this in the church as well. So let me talk about these three specific uh, dangers of the political worldview. Number one, uh, the political worldview teaches that anyone who disagrees with us or refuses to believe our ideology is our enemy. And uh, you pretty much see that all the time when it comes to politics. If you don't agree with what we believe, or you um, refuse to accept our, our political ideology, you're the enemy. So we immediately uh, draw battle lines right off the bat, based on whether you believe what I believe or, or don't. Uh, so that's number one. The political worldview teaches that anyone who disagrees with us or refuses to believe our ideology is our enemy. And I see this in the church all the time with, with believers, uh, with not just political things, but even with theological things. So that's number one. Number two, compromise is viewed as a tactic of our enemy to get us to buy into their lies. And I'm going to go in depth on all three of these here in a minute. So that's number two is compromise. Number three, the political worldview promotes the belief that winning only comes through the defeat of our enemies. And if defeat cannot be achieved through debate, then character assassination is an acceptable strategy. And... Unfortunately, most people don't know why they believe what they believe. So in, in the aspect of winning, they completely skip the whole debate thing and go straight to character assassination. And if you don't believe me, take, take five minutes and spend it on some sort of social media platform and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, social media is just a, an entire platform for character assassination left and right. And unfortunately, and this is such a, a, a tragic aspect of the infection of the political worldview in the church, is... Uh, Christians cons consistently devolve into character assassination all the time. And, and that is 
that is very anti or an antithetical to a kingdom worldview. So I want to look at these three things a little bit in depth. Uh, I don't want to go too much in depth on this, um, but I just I just want to expose them. That's that's all I'm talking about here. I'm not trying to glorify this or or um, you know promote it. Obviously not. But I want to expose it because. Uh, I think a lot of believers and a lot of church leaders don't realize they have this worldview uh, because um, it, it's so prevalent everywhere now. There's nowhere you can go <laughs> that that the political worldview has not touched that area in, in some way. You know, even uh, you know, you used to be able to go to some sort of entertainment um, venue of some sort, and you sort of it was an escape. But there's no escape anymore. There's just, there's political worldview everywhere. And it infects how we think and how we view the world and how we act. And that's my purpose tonight is just to, to reveal this, to expose it. So let me go into these, these three really quick and explain how they, they damage our reputation as a church, how they damage our ability to bring reconciliation in general, and how they have damaged our ability to bring recon, uh, racial reconciliation or be leaders in the aspect of, of racial reconciliation. So, okay, going back to number one, that um, anybody who disagrees with us or refuses to believe our ideology is our enemy. So that's number one. And this is, this is rampant in the church. Um, you know, there's numerous churches, ministries, and denominations that have split or have died because of this one, because if you know if somebody believes something different, now I'm not talking about. I'm certainly not talking about core, um, you know, orthodox truths about God and, and Jesus and the Bible. I'm talking. I'm talking about all the the peripheral stuff when it comes to theology. You know, there's all this peripheral stuff that we get so bent out of shape on. And if somebody believes something different, they become our enemy, or we may not. We may not intentionally call them our enemy, but we treat them as if they are our enemy. And, you know, this isn't new either. You know, uh, this has been going on for centuries. This has been going on for millennia. In fact, Paul himself addresses this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 13, Paul addresses the Corinthian church who are having divisions that are taking place in the church, and the divisions are are creating factions that are fighting against each other, that are not based on core, um, you know, orthodox truths. You know, it's not like somebody saying Jesus isn't isn't the Son of God. It's not what this is all about. <clears throat> so let me read this to you. It's it's First uh, Corinthians eleven, uh, sorry, First Corinthians one eleven through thirteen, starting verse eleven. For it is this is Paul speaking to the church. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloris' household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And, and they're creating all these different factions and, and groups that are against each other, uh, that are creating contentions, as he says there in verse 11. And then Paul goes on in verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Uh, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So here in the first century church, we see this 
this, uh, and I don't know if you would call it the political worldview at that point, but this basically the same type of manifestation where you're creating these divisions around things that are not essential, that are not core beliefs that you absolutely have to hold to. And the people who do not believe that the, in these different factions and they disagree with another, they become sort of their enemy in that they're creating these contentions, these, these negative uh, aspects of, of the church where there's division and there's, they're dividing and they're, they're separating from each other. And, you know, going back to the church over the centuries, we see this all the time, how churches are split just because they disagree on, on a music choice or they disagree on, on some sort of procedure in, in the worship service. Just these little things. And, and because people don't believe the way I believe, I view them as my enemy. That is not a kingdom worldview. That is a political worldview. We see this all the time with politicians. And it, it's it's, it's um, modus operandi, if you will, for the political world. Uh, and they use that, and that's acceptable in the political world. And I saw this when I was in in uh, in those political circles. And it's not just you know like Republican versus Democrat or Democrat versus Republican. Um, even within their own uh, um, groups, there were divisions. And you know if if this particular person in this group disagreed with this person in this group, it was war. I mean, there was a situation where I saw, I mean, the entire group or party was, was ripping itself apart because of a, a disagreement. And it was not uh, some sort of core thing that they believed. It was just a disagreement that one group had with another, and it spread throughout the entire party. And it was horrible. But that's the political worldview. And that's what we see in the church, is this happens all the time. You know... As, as Christians, we're called to be uh, bridge builders. Uh, but unfortunately, because we tend to adopt a political worldview, we become bridge destroyers. And instead of building bridges that bring people together, we destroy bridges and, and keep people separated. You know, um, the aspect of, of reconciliation is... You know, if, if I view somebody as my enemy, there's no way I can reconcile with them. Going back to Romans 5.8, where, where, where God said, you know, or where Paul says about God that, you know, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He reached out to us. He did what we were incapable of doing. It would have been easy for God, and he would have been totally justified to say, you guys really messed this thing up. You're sinners. You're my enemy. You're done. He would have been totally justified, but he didn't. He took the step. And, and too often as, as Christians, we want other people to take the step. But as Christians, if we're going to emulate the heart of God, we need to take the first step. We need to make the initiation you know, especially in the area of, of, of racial uh, reconciliation, uh, you know, there, there's so much division when it comes to racial reconciliation, especially in the political worldview. And, and it's unfortunate that, that most Christians, I say most, a large percentage, whatever that number is, um, 
tend to fall into the political worldview when it comes to racial reconciliation. And they, they view somebody who disagrees with their position, or they view themselves as, I, I'm, I'm in the right, you're in the wrong, so you need to get your act together and come reconcile with me. Uh, that's not biblical. That's political. And you see this especially on social media, where, you know, we, we try and defend our position and debunk somebody else's position. I mean, just look at the posts of a lot of Christians on social media when it comes to racial reconciliation. And then, you know, they just throw a Bible verse in there to try and prove their position. Um, and that, that is, that's very dangerous. You know, I have to laugh in, in, in the aspect of this, this one particular post that, that went around uh, in various different formats in regards to the parable of the lost sheep. You know, uh, the parable of the lost sheep is, Jesus said, you know, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go find the one. And I've never in my life seen so many interpretations of that parable than I saw on social media over the last five or six weeks in regards to racial reconciliation. I'm telling you, everybody all of a sudden has this miraculous interpretation of the parable of the lost sheep when it comes to racial reconciliation, regardless of what side of the fence you're on or what pers what political side of the fence you're on. Let me put it that way. Uh, and, and what political perspective you come from they use the parable of the lost sheep to try and justify their position to prove that the other pers person is wrong, that they're the enemy. And man, that is such, so antithetical to the heart of God. Too often we deny, dismiss, or diminish someone else's experience or pain and or pain in order to prove that we're right. Or in order to prove that we have the superior position, or that we're, we didn't do anything wrong. And because we view that anybody who, who believes something different than us is our enemy. So if they're the enemy, it's okay to uh, deny, dismiss, or diminish their pain because they're the enemy. But they're not the enemy. There's only one enemy, and it's not people. It's the enemy. And when we view other people or other groups of people as our enemy, we've already lost. Jesus didn't do that. For God so loved the world, not hated the world, not viewed the world as, its, as his enemy, but God so loved the world. Because reconciliation, and especially racial reconciliation, cannot occur if I view the other person who believes something different than I do is my enemy. So that's the danger of number one in regards to the political worldview. If I believe that somebody who believes different than me is my enemy, I've, I've, I've burned down the bridge of reconciliation, especially in the area of racial reconciliation. So that's number one. Number two is compromise is viewed as a tactic of our enemy to get us to believe in, into their lies. Now, this is another danger. You know, and there are, obviously there are times when compromise is unwise. You know, again, I go back to what I was saying here a few minutes ago as far as the core orthodox beliefs of the Christian faith in, in the theological side. And also there, there's times when we don't compromise. But 
the unfortunate thing is the political worldview, when it comes to compromise, doesn't just talk about compromise. Compromise is, is becomes an all-encompassing term that, that also includes even listening to somebody who we disagree with. Even just listening to them. Listening to understand their perspective is, is anathema, if you will, is, is considered um, compromise under the political worldview. And we see this again in the church, where we don't listen anymore. All we want to do is spout our perspective. All we want to do is prove that we're right. Um, and, and even in the political worldview, when it comes to compromise, treating other people and their experience and pain with respect is also considered compromise. And, and, and th that is very unbiblical. Uh, you can't minister to somebody if you're going to deny or, or not even listen to their their pain. Listen to their experience. Try to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, we see this, again, in, in church, where most churches don't even interact with non-believers anymore. They don't, they don't interact with their, their community or their culture. We become this holy huddle that is like this bubble that we, we believe they're the enemy, we need to just stay in here and hunker down until Jesus comes back. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that's what we're supposed to do. You know, when Jesus told Peter that, you know, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, not prevail against it, he didn't mean to go hunker in the corner somewhere and and hide from the culture until he came, excuse me, until he came back. It's just the opposite. You can't storm the gates of hell if you're hiding in the corner. And too often we, we justify our, our fear of being leaders by adopting the political worldview. And that political worldview, again, teaches us that we shouldn't even listen. We, we shouldn't give respect to those we, we disagree with. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of churches or a lot of church leaders or a lot of Christians today that, you know, if, if Jesus were to come back and, and uh, not in the sense of the second coming, but, you know, if Jesus were here today, sort of like he was in the first, uh, the first coming, and sit down with us and share with us the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, most of us would not be the Good Samaritan. We'd be the priest or the Levite who crossed the street to avoid the person who was in need, to avoid the person we disagreed with, to avoid the person who who has has need of ministry because they've been treated wrong they've they've experienced injustice they've experienced um, racism we, we shy away from that we cross the street if you will figuratively and avoid it we're not acting like the good Samaritan and it's because we've adopted this political worldview and we need to be very, very careful uh, that we don't view compromise in the same way that the political worldview teaches compromise. You know, the Bible says that we are to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And all too often as Christians, 
we are quick to speak, quick to become angry, and we don't even listen. And that is the political worldview speaking through us. That is telling us compromise, if you will, um, also includes just being compassionate. We can be compassionate to somebody we disagree with. And it's not compromise. If we are to be leaders in racial reconciliation, we've got to be willing to minister to those that we may disagree with. To minister to those that um, we don't understand. To minister to those that have had different experiences that, than us that makes us uncomfortable. Because if we don't do that, then we're no different than the politicians. Because that's what the political world does. And if that's the way we're going to go, um, we're not going to be leaders. See, we have to be able to meet people where they are. And we have to also admit that, you know, there's things we don't know. We don't understand. We haven't experienced. And just because we haven't experienced doesn't mean it's not real. Doesn't mean it's not true. We have to be willing to meet people where they are. Because if we're not willing to meet people where they are, Jesus can't meet them through us where they are. And we can't be ministers of reconciliation with them where they are. So that's number two. Uh, so uh, number one was the, the aspect of viewing anybody who disagrees with us as our enemy. Number two is compromise is viewed as a tactic to get us to buy into the lies of, of our enemy. And then number three, uh, this is the big one, um, winning. Uh, you know, the political worldview promotes the belief that winning only comes through the defeat of our enemy. And if defeat cannot be achieved through debate, then character assassination is a viable strategy. And again, we see this all the time. Uh, of course, this is modus operandi for the political worldview. You watch a politician for five minutes, at some point they're going to delve into to character assassination. Now, it's not all of them, but the vast majority of them. Um, you know, of course, we're coming into a, a political season uh, here in, in, in the fall, and it's, it's probably going to be one of the worst we've ever seen. And uh, it's going to be political assassination left and right, or character assassination, rather, left and right. Um, you know, if we adopt this in the church, that we believe that the only way we can win as a church is if we defeat our enemy and the world is our enemy, we've lost. We've already lost. Again, the enemy is the enemy. The world is not the enemy. If we try and defeat the world, we're focusing on the wrong enemy. In fact, we're, we are promoting his own agenda, which is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus didn't say, I've come to defeat the world. Jesus said, I've come that the world through me might be saved. The world is not our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The world is our ministry. We are here to minister to a hurting world that is being destroyed by sin and the enemy. And so many Christians don't understand why they believe what they believe. So when somebody who does, who is not a Christian ask them questions, whether they're legitimate questions or whether they're just antagonistic questions, 
the the you know Christians who don't know why they believe what they believe automatically delve into character assassination because we've adopted this political worldview that the only way I can win is if I defeat my enemy. And if I can't defeat my enemy by giving them a viable answer for their question, then either they're right or I'm wrong or, or, or I'm, you know, if, if they're right, then I'm wrong and then I lose. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have realized, have, have because they don't know why they believe what they believe, they either delve into character assassination because it's the only way they can try and defeat this person to prove that they're right. Because if they're, if, if the, the person they view as the enemy is right, then I'm wrong. But I, I don't know why I'm wrong. And I don't understand why I believe what I believe. And I can't defend my faith. So I delve into character assassination. Or, like we've seen a lot of Christians, they get challenged by the world as far as why they believe what they believe. They don't know why they believe that. And then they abandon their faith. They go, oh, you must be right, because I don't know why I believe what I believe, so now I'm going to join them. This is a, this is a core aspect of, of, of Christianity where we've forgotten what it means to be a disciple. We've forgotten that the gospel is more than just going to heaven one day. You know, we've so diminished the gospel to... Well, I get to go to heaven one day, but you know, until then, I just need to hunker down and hold on until Jesus comes back. Uh, we've forgotten the aspect of growing in our faith, of, of developing in that. And it's more than just being able to give an intellectual answer. But we can't even do that because we don't know why we believe what we believe. And Christian debate today has really just devolved into character assassination. Uh, again, go on to social media, and if you go on any of these forums or groups of apologetics, um, and, and unfortunately apologetics has really just became, become an aspect of, of, of how can I defeat my enemy. Now, there is a legitimate aspect of apologetics, I'm not saying that, but you know, especially on these forums or, or, or these groups or whatever on social media, um, somebody puts up a legitimate question, and all of a sudden, it's like World, World War III. They get attacked from every angle for even asking the question. And their character is questioned. There, there's a character assassination. Or if you don't believe something that somebody else believes, and, and they just assassinate your character. Uh, because winning is the goal. And we, we rejoice more over the defeat of somebody we perceive to be our enemy, rather than rejoicing over their redemption. You know, how many, how many Christians are, are, you know, reposting all this clickbait stuff of, you know, so-and-so destroys this particular atheist. So-and-so destroys this particular scientist with truth and justice and all this other stuff. And how many, how many times do we repost pictures or, 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 or stories of, you know, this person got redeemed today. The Lord came into their lives and restored and reconciled their relationship with God. We spend more time rejoicing over, over defeating our enemy Rather than we, rather than rejoicing over the redemption of our enemy through Christ, 
And that's an aspect of the political worldview. And, and, you know, when it comes to racial reconciliation, we cannot be leaders in, 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 in reconciling racial healing if we, were, if we view somebody who believes something different than us or has a different experience than us as our enemy. Because the only way we see reconciliation from a political worldview is we got to win. And the only way we win is to defeat our enemy. And right there, that's, that's completely antithetical to, to reconciliation. One of the key aspects of this, this number three, that you know, the only way we win is through defeating our enemy, and not only is it an aspect of, of um, or it is an aspect of condemnation, but character assassination, it's an aspect of condemnation. And we know through Romans chapter 8, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's the reason condemnation is so dangerous. And this is, this is one of the things, unfortunately, a lot of Christians adopt, and it's part of the political worldview, because God does not condemn. Um, he, he seeks to redeem. That's why, you know, Jesus said in, in John 17, I'm sorry, John 3.17. You know, we're familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But it continues on in John 3.17 that Jesus said that the Son of Man has not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. Yet, many Christians believe it's their ministry to condemn. <laughs> and reconciliation is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation, the, the whole goal of condemnation is just accusation. That's it. It's not reconciliation. It's not correction. It's accusation. So the very act of accusing somebody satisfies that desire in us to condemn them. We don't, we don't want them to change. In fact, even if they do change, in the area we have condemned them in, we're going to find something else to condemn them over because correction or reconciliation does not satisfy condemnation. Only accusation does that. So somebody, that's why somebody who has a spirit of condemnation can never be satisfied because the only thing that satisfies them is accusation. So them accusing somebody is the fulfillment of their desire to condemn. And in the political worldview, condemnation is the is is manifest through character assassination. So, when it comes to reconciliation, you cannot have a spirit of condemnation. If my goal is to condemn somebody uh, who I view as my enemy, I, I can't be reconciled to them, because that spirit of condemnation doesn't want reconciliation; it wants accusation. And unfortunately, in the area of, of racial uh, reconciliation and racial healing, that's all we see is condemnation. One side condemning the other. Uh, you know, in the political world, they take, we've, we've taken sides. We've, we've got this group versus this group. It's, it's one versus the other. It's this enemy aspect of we have to win by defeating our enemies. And, and you know, it's exactly what Paul says in, in, in the letter to the Corinthians there, saying, hey, where do these contentions come from? 
but obviously it's through sin. And that's the true nature of the political worldview, is it's driven by sin. So if we're going to be leaders in, in reconciliation, if we're going to be ministers of reconciliation, if we're going to lead in racial reconciliation, we have got to let go of the political worldview. And as, as I come to a close here, again, I just, you know, it, it's just, uh, we're in a pivotal moment in this country where we have to have a church that's willing to accept the responsibility of being ministers of, of reconciliation. Because if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, we're, we're pretty much done. Because this country is going to tear itself apart. The church has got to take the lead in reconciliation. It is our mandate from God. And we cannot fulfill that mandate with a political worldview. Because, and let me just recap these three dangers, the political worldview teaches these three things. Number one, it, the political worldview teaches that anyone who disagrees with us or refuses to believe our ideology is, is our enemy. Number two, compromise is viewed as a tactic of our enemy to get us to buy into their lies. And number three, the political worldview promotes the belief that winning only comes through the defeat of our enemy. And if defeat cannot be achieved through debate, then character assassination is an acceptable strategy or condemnation, if we want to say it that way. So, you know, as, as you've listened to this message tonight, or whenever you happen to be watching it, and you realize, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, man, you've got, you, you have um, an aspect. Or maybe, you know, maybe you're like, wow, I, I have the political mindset or, or political worldview. Or, or I believe part of that, or, or I've done that in the past. Um, man, I just want to give you the opportunity to, to confess that to the Lord tonight. Um, because next week, what we're going to talk about is the kingdom worldview. And how the kingdom worldview does bring about healing. It does bring about reconciliation. And the only way we're going to see racial reconciliation in this country is through a kingdom worldview. But in order to get a kingdom worldview, we've got to admit we don't have that. Uh, that we've got either a political worldview or something else. But odds are it's going to be a political worldview. So tonight, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to confess that to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity to, to ask the Lord to help you walk in repentance from that. By, by letting go of a political worldview and allowing God to renew your mind with a kingdom worldview. And that's what we'll talk about next week. So right now, I just want to take a minute and lead you in a prayer of confession and, and a prayer of asking the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring repentance into your life. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for each and every person that, that is uh, watching uh, this message. Lord, as, as they, they listen to it, Lord, um, if the Holy Spirit uh, has, has prompted you or, or, or convicted you uh, of one or any other, many of these, these particular dangers or other aspects of the, the political worldview, I just want you to confess that to the Lord right now. Just confess that, hey, you know what, Lord, I confess uh, that that I have adopted a, a political worldview. And, and Lord, I just confess that to you right now and ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you that your word says if we confess our sins, that you, Jesus, are faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, I thank you in my confession that you have forgiven me, that there is now therefore no condemnation for anybody in Christ Jesus. So I thank you for that, that, that forgiveness, Lord, uh, and I ask you to begin to renew my mind. Um, renew my mind with the kingdom worldview so that I would know what is that good, perfect, and pleasing will that you have for this world, for, for, for this country, for this state, for my community, for my church, for my family, and for myself. So, Lord, I thank you uh, that you are faithful and just, and you will bring about renewal through repentance in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm really glad you joined us tonight. Uh, I, I hope tonight kind of gave you uh, sort of a, an opportunity to do some self-examination, uh, to do some examination of, of uh, the church in general, and to inspire you that there is hope for racial reconciliation in this country through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about next week in the aspect of the kingdom worldview, because with the kingdom worldview, there is hope. There is healing. Uh, you know, and, and we, the church, can and will storm the gates of hell. So I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you guys. We look forward to, to partnering with you and continuing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will continue to be healed saved and delivered in Jesus' name. Amen.